Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, der Bundesliga-Podcast. I'm Manu Feit, hier ist Stefan Bierkowski und also hier ist Matt Ford. Hey guys, how's it going? How has the Bundesliga-Matchday been treating you, Stefan? Yeah, good. Um, another fantastic weekend of action. Uh, I actually just wanted to give a quick shout out to Sky Sports in the UK, bizarrely, yeah. uh, because sometimes when they can't be arsed sticking the game on their actual TV channels, they'll just show it live on YouTube. Uh, which means uh, when I have to walk the dog at halftime and I miss the first five or ten minutes, I can watch mm -hmm. it on my phone. Uh, but because mm -hmm. it's on YouTube, I can actually close the phone and listen to the audio as if it's like radio yeah. commentary, which I really enjoy. Um, and because we're lucky that we have the world feed and all the great commentators from that, uh, it sounds like I'm listening to wireless, watch, listening to the radio. Um, so... A weird kind of consequence of maybe just sheer neglect, but I've enjoyed it. So that's been my kind of, uh, that's been my highlight of the weekend. <laughs> a random shout out to Sky. Uh, Matt, how's it going with you? <laughs> yeah, I thought last week in Darmstadt was cold, but uh, Cologne yesterday topped it down slight. Well, minus eight at one point in the morning, enjoying the game about minus four, minus three. Um, but nevertheless, wonderful day. Blue, blue skies white snow everywhere full house in cologne dortmund the visitors really good atmosphere good second half first half not so good but we'll talk about that later so yeah really uh really cold but really good life-affirming saturday of football enjoyed it fantastic yeah absolutely there's there's lots to discuss um we're doing this on the back of the Bayern munich game um so yeah um the chat our Substack chat if you're not a subscriber yet you can you can jump on our Substack and um chat with uh, all the other subscribers about the bundesliga match day and it's been it's still going I, i still get the notifications on my phone it's just been going crazy so um yeah lots of like-minded bundesliga fans there and um a lot more civilized of a discussion than you see on some social media channels that sh shall not be named here um guys as i said lots to discuss so let's jump into it right after this break this episode of the gegenpressing podcast is brought to you by bet online with the nfl playoffs in full swing and the nba season in mid midway at the midway point bet online has you covered with all the up to second odds news and scores with additional odd lines trends and info on both desktop and mobile you can access the world's best wagering information anytime Head there today to get into the action, see all the updated odds. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, Matt, before we get into the match day action, I think um, there was a little bit piece of news that you wanted to, to mention about Kai Bernstein, the president of Hertha Berlin, um, tragic death last week. Um, this was their first game um, since the, the the news came out. Obviously, Hertha is still uh, a bit in turmoil is maybe not the right word, but 
in in the grieving process trying to, to sort out the, the club's future um the funeral was today i believe right uh, matt um you wanted to mention something about this yeah um much as we were saying how where what an exciting bundesliga match day has been what an exciting weekend in german football it's been it's also been overshadowed by absolutely awful horrible shocking news earlier this week on tuesday morning when absolutely out of the blue um Hertha BST announced that their club president, Kai Bernstein, had suddenly passed away, uh, aged just 43. Um, yeah, shocking news. Um, Bernstein had been in the job uh, at Hertha since June um, 2022, so only about a, a, year and a, a year and a half into the job. Um, and he was elected as very much a, a breath of fresh air. I mean, if anyone followed the news even briefly, they would have uh, read that he, he, he came from the fan base. He came from the hardcore support. He was a founder member of Hertha, Hertha Berlin's uh, ultra group, Harlequins Berlin, in, back in 1998. So very much a, yeah, an, an ultra of the very, yeah, of the very first generation in, in German football um, and, a, um, yeah, a, a, an influential figure, not just at Hertha, not just in Berlin, uh, but in German football, German fan culture uh, as a whole, and uh, e- even more so by rising to the rank of club president. Um, so yeah, um, you mentioned Hertha being in turmoil. Yeah, they absolutely were. Um, we've, we've probably you know discussed the, the whole situation with Lars Lindhorst and the investments, and etc. Et Topic for itself, but under Bernstein, um, there absolutely were little tiny green shoots and signs that Hertha Berlin could be following what he always called the Berliner Weg, the Berlin way, and you know, an attempt to bring Hertha Berlin back closer to its supporters, to, to the city, and recover after after tumultuous years. And uh, that, yeah, that, that process uh, has been quite short. Indeed, has Kai Bernstein's life. Uh, there was a, a march today before their home game against Dusseldorf. I think about 7,000 people took part in a march to the stadium. There's been messages of support across Germany in German football. Yeah, a, a towering figure and very, very upsetting news. Yeah, very, very sad. Um, obviously, he had a 2-2 against Fortuna today. Um, players celebrating uh, Kai Bernstein's life um, whenever they scored. Um, yeah, very sad. Um, let's move from that. Um, we're going to do this backwards today we're going to start with the game that's fresh in our heads we're recording this sunday literally like 20 minutes after the the bayern werder bremen um, game ended um this was werder bremen's first win at the allianz arena since 2008 first time uh, in four years bayern haven't scored at the allianz um stefan you know I kind of feel this result has been coming for Bayern because they had a couple of games. The Hoffenheim game wasn't good. The Köln game before the winter break where, where they won 1-0 but didn't really do much either wasn't good. I think, I kind of feel like this result has been coming from a team that just kind of looks tired and jaded. Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, it was it was such a bizarre performance from Bayern because leading into it, there was all this talk about their winter training in Portugal and the team building exercises and how that was going to fix all their problems. Um, not to mention the fact that they just had an extended period of time off, obviously due to the winter break. Um, and like a lot of teams, actually, we've seen in the Bundesliga, you know, we saw it maybe with Leipzig last week, um, and we'll also talk about them later in the show, but 
it feels a lot like a lot of these teams are just coming coming back from that time off and not a, not a lot has really changed and that's certainly the case with Bayern um, the thing that really struck me in this game was that obviously Bremen played really well both defensively and the way they were set up to counter attack um, you know they had so much pace up front but uh, Mitchell Weiser in particular like even long before he scored that goal really um, in the first half actually as well he was just really bombing down that right wing and it was obvious that you know, Brad Bremen were making a point of, you know, exposing the gaps that Bayern were leaving behind them, which was behind Davies and the lack of kind of space behind Delict, or rather the lack of speed behind Delict. Um, and they broke through a number of times, and they were and, and Bayern were really asking for trouble. But from a Bayern point of view, what really kind of concerned me was the fact that they just kind of went through the motions. It felt to me they were very slow with their passing. They were very, um sloppy with their passing as well that's the thing that really struck me as well um a lot of the passes went just went straight out of the pitch and it didn't go to the people they went to and when they did it was really really basic stuff it was back to front that kind of you know that kind of melodrome not melodrome um what's the word um metronome metronome that's the word that metronomic passing um from just kind of side to side uh from Goretzka and Kimmich and I think they were just kind of expecting Bremen to crumble and they never did. And it asked serious questions of Bayern's attack and they, they weren't able to really do anything about it. And, you know, you can argue about the XG and stuff. This is the poorest XG they've had all season. Uh, I think it stood at 1.5 when I checked. Their worst XG, XG so far this season uh, was 2.0 against Heidenheim, which they surprisingly won 4-2 uh, at the Allianz Arena. So considerably lower than just about any time. It's the first time in like a bazillion years that they haven't scored at home. Um, and yeah, they just look jaded, tired, and all out of ideas. Yeah, Matt, do you agree with that? I do, and I'm surprised that they look the way they did because yeah. surely after having as Stefan was hinting at, after having the winter break and then I think a four day break in in the sunshine in the south of Portugal to come back looking so tired and yeah, so heavy, so heavy legged, um, was yeah was very surprising. Um, a classic case really of being unable to break down a deep line defence. You know, let's not take anything away from Verde Bremen at all. Um, came with a game plan, sat very, very deep, very, very disciplined, very well organised. A um, couple of decent saves from Michel Zetterer in goal. Um, so, I mean, yeah, yeah you, you need that. You need a bit of luck. You'll need a bit of quality in goal to get away with it. And they they absolutely did. Um, they had options on the break. You mentioned Njinma uh, and, uh, and Visor, the, the, the outlets that, that, that they provided. But um, yeah, it's, it's it's difficult. I think it's probably one of the most difficult situations for any team to find themselves in, having all that possession and having to break down those two deep playing bags. It really is difficult whether you're playing against the top team in the Champions League doing it, or whether you whether you play playing against yeah, bottom Bundesliga bottom of the bottom half Bundesliga opposition, or even lower down two banks of four have to break down. Um, Bayern were very narrow. I found that strange. They seemed to they consistently insisted on playing through these very narrow, tight, central areas where I thought they were getting absolutely nowhere. I thought some of the some of the bits of joy they did have when they did actually move out wide for crosses in, particularly later when they had to promote England as well. But even then nothing was really coming about. You had the, the Harry Kane header which came back across the face with goal, no one was there. Um Matthias Tell we, we had, drew a great a great save from Zettler onto the onto the post later on. Apart from that, I can't really think of any other 
major opportunities that they really created. So um, yeah, really, yeah, really, really blunt and uh, uninspiring performance film. Yeah, I mean, if you're really honest, Werder Bremen scored twice. I mean, um, yeah. I, 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 this is in, in similar in similar fashion as well. In similar fashion, right? A ninja goal in the first half that which I actually think should have stood. Not, I do think it's it's a foul on Musiala, but I don't think that is the sort of game deciding moments we brought VAR in for. Um, it's totally not agree. offside. Totally agree. It's not offside. It's not um, you know a penalty. It's not the ball didn't you know not cross the goal line but two centimeters. It's it's a tiny foul in the build up, which is again not what we brought VAR in for. Um, so I actually think that goal should have stood. Um, and you know it also kind of illustrates how well Werder Bremen did hit Bayern Munich in, in transition. And there were some opportunities that they created even, you know, after they, they scored the goal. Of course, the last 10, 15 minutes, it was all Bayern Munich. Passing the ball around the, the, the box, um, you know, you know, having all that possession, but it felt kind of almost like meaningless possession. And you know what I thought was really interesting, and we've talked about this in the in the bonus show last week, I think, Stefan, with um, when we talked about strikers, is like when a when a team's going to figure out that if they if they shut down the pipeline between Leroy Sané and Harry Kane, they they effectively end Harry Kane's hot streak. And you could see that there. They isolated the two from one another, and then all of a sudden this attack goes lame. Yeah, I thought Matt made a really good point about how narrow Bayern were playing and it's almost like mm-hmm. they play into their own kind of faults at times because we've seen so much this season. And really since Kane joined the club, the, the way that Tuchel has tried to accommodate all these players is he's more or less played Sani and Musiala almost like second strikers off Kane. He's all, at times they're almost like on either shoulder of him really when Bayern line up and obviously that can work to devastating effect. We saw a few times, it did work a few times when they played like one two threes or one twos on the edge of the Bremen box and someone like Jung would come in with a last minute challenge. Um, but and, and yeah, that works really well. And maybe that's kind of something that will work for them superbly well in the Champions League when more attacking teams come at them. But it does feel like that's kind of like their plan A, B and C. And I think it's quite telling if you kind of look at which players have got the most assists for Bayern this season. You've got Leroy Sani sitting on 11, Harry Kane sitting with 8. Then it's Thomas Muller on 7. And he's only paid 867 minutes, which is about less than half what you'd expect from a player who's obviously a starter. And, you know, Muller is more or less a kind of super sub this season. But the fact that Muller has more assists than Coleman and Musiala combined, uh, I think is quite telling. Coleman in particular actually feels to me like a real victim of this new system, of these new tactics. Doesn't really seem to know what he's doing in this team. Um, whether, you know, because... It felt in previous iterations of Barn, particularly with Hansi Flick, he was a very direct player, but he knew exactly what to do. You get to the line, swing the ball in, there was Lewandowski waiting for it, or if he was playing on the left, he knew how to play a 1-2 with someone. In this team, he seems like a complete afterthought. Similarly, Alfonso Davies, um, a complete shadow of the player he once was. Uh, I mean, you could kind of pick apart his defensive play for that goal, Um which I think in a lot of ways does kind of sum up almost how half-hearted he feels at times for Bayern this season. But even in an attacking sense, he just kind of strikes me as a player who's just kind of going through the motions, doesn't have any clear instructions as to what to do. And as Matt says, it feels like the entire team is built around getting the ball into that kind of danger zone on the kind of semicircle of the Bremen box. But, you know, if the opponents kind of stack that with two lines of defence, then, you know, Bayern do struggle and 
it's going to be a really interesting kind of couple of days now because we're not that far off the period when Nagelsmann got sacked. Okay, maybe about six or seven weeks, eight weeks. But, you know, Bayern decided to kind of pull the trigger of Nagelsmann after he was undefeated in Champions League and he was just, I think, two points off the top of the table. And now look where Bayern are right now. That's two defeats in the last five games, I think. Um, not exactly... Um, you know, a team pushing for the Champions League this season. There's no, nothing to say they can't win it, but I don't think many people can consider them among the favourites, consider them their form. And as you said, Matt, at the top of the show, like the Bayern fans and our kind of subscriber chat were going off their heads. And for week after week, we do hear them saying, look, this isn't fun to watch. It's not entertaining. And how is this any better than what we had under Nagelsmann? I think we said a couple of times at the start of the season when criticism of Bayern came up that we said, well, in mitigation for Thomas Tuchel, they had a bit of a car crash of a summer transfer window, which left them left them short all across all across the squad. And I remember making the argument myself on several occasions that you know let's just wait until January then and let's see where they are when it comes to the business end of the season for Bayern. We're, we're approaching it now. Uh, knockout stage of the Champions League. They came from the group with flying colours. Uh, knockout stage of the Champions League around the corner. Uh, title race really picking up in earnest. They're, they're, now, they're now seven points behind Leverkusen, albeit with the game with that game in hand. Is that this week? I believe, isn't it? Uh, at home to Union. Is it Tuesday or Wednesday this 24th. week? Twenty fourth. Yes. Yeah, that'll be. Uh, can't do the maths. Tuesday, Wednesday, <laughs> Wednesday <laughs> midweek. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and and yeah, they go into this 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 stage of the season at least as it stands, not having made those additions. Okay, obviously Dyer. Um, arrived at Kevin, I think that's sensible, absolutely. Um, is it the midfield anchor creativity, creative player that they, they so sorely lack so to add to creativity for midfield? No. Um, and obviously, we've got a few days left out in January, who knows what they might do. But yeah, I think that sort of mitigating argument that we used is, yeah, slowly getting to the point where it's not, it, 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 no, it, no, it's no longer valid. And um, be interesting to see where they go. Also, one last thing: is it is it fair to say that and maybe it's nitpicking a bit that that was Harry Kane's worst performance to buy it? Yes, that's fair to say. Um, I want to move this on to the next game, and um, there's some really interesting points that both of you guys made. Um, Bayern Munich, and this needs to be pointed out: the current points per game average is two point four one. So with all the negative. This is still a breath, like this is still a breathtaking pace that they are taking there. Unfortunately for them, there's another team that plays a very similar style of football um, in many, many, many regards. For some reason, it just seems to be a bit more quicker, a bit more, a bit more direct, a bit more fruitful. And that's Bayer Leverkusen, whose points per game average is an incredible 2.66 per game which is incredible. You know, every other year, Bayern Munich would be probably be sitting 10 points ahead of the table and we would be complaining about them playing the boring football and winning games and, yes, dropping points here and there. Unfortunately for them, this year, there is, seems to be a real opponent there. Stefan, this game um, between Leipzig and Bayer Leverkusen uh, was an incredible advertising for the, for the Bundesliga and the football that can be played there. And I, I actually also think made a few points there. Leipzig do really well when they can hit teams on the transition. But what really, really impressed me was that um, despite all of that, Leverkusen stuck with their game plan 
And the moment they took control over the game, they took in, in terms of the midfield possession, in terms of Schalke and Palacios really inserting themselves, they just slowly but surely um, played Leipzig off the park. And, you know, this is a Leipzig side that, that really can hurt uh, teams that, you know, is going to maybe to go to Real Madrid and might even hurt them. This was an a really, really positive performance for Leverkusen. Yeah, I mean, I'd go so far as saying maybe the performance of the season, aside from maybe that draw against Bayern Munich at the start of the year. Um, and, you know, you talk about fine margins and the fact that, you know, Thomas Tuchel's, you're absolutely right, I actually looked up before the start of the show, I think his points per game for Bayern in the Bundesliga is 2.41, I think, as you said, and Nagelsmann's was maybe 2.19. So, yeah, on paper, Bayern are doing everything right, but... The difference is that there's a Leverkusen team here who are just going above and beyond what's expected. Not just of a team in the top four, but even like it's a title contender or a title challenger. Um, that fixture against Leipzig on Saturday struck me as the kind of game that by, uh, Dortmund teams of the past would drop points in or potentially lose. Um, if it makes sense, I'd expect, you know, Leipzig teams who we once kind of pitted as potential title challengers from one season to the next would drop points there. But the fact that they were to come beh- come from behind twice and win that game, um, you know, it's an old cliche to see the kind of side of champions, but it is, and it's something that we've seen them do time and time again. I've pulled up just to double check, and, you know, they go behind against Bayern Munich uh, twice, managed to take a point. They go behind against Dortmund, managed to take a point. They go behind against Stuttgart, managed to take a point. Uh, and, of course, the in the reverse fixture against Leverkusen at the start of the season, uh, it was the exact same result as well with a 3-2 win. And it's these kind of big games where they not only kind of match these teams, you know, man for man across the pitch, but play their style of football and in each instance, you know, eventually kind of grab control of the match and, you know, go on to win it. And we were saying that when we were, you know, in the chat, we're like, yes, Leipzig started the game tremendously well. They exposed a Leverkusen backline that are clearly missing some players. Um, not to mention the fact that Patrick Schick really didn't offer as much, I thought, on and off the ball, all, uh, ball sorry, as uh, Boniface. But despite all that, you know, Leverkusen stuck to the system and that system was able to kind of help them uh, basically just grind down this this Leipzig team. And yeah, it was immensely perform- impressive and I think that what I said in the chat was, you know, Bayer look a lot like Bayern these days. This episode of the Gegenpressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. With the NFL playoffs in full swing and the NBA season in mid midway at the midway point, Bet Online has you covered with all the up to second odds, news, and scores. With additional odd lines, trends, and info on both desktop and mobile, you can access the world's best wagering information anytime. Head there today to get into the action, see all the updated odds. Remember to use the promo code BELIEVE, that is B-L-E-A-V, BELIEVE, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. What it looked like Bayern did in 2015 under Pep Guardiola, right? Um, it's it's that it's the same than what Bayern play right now, only that the, the final end product is a little bit more proactive. And um, I've spoken to coaches ab- about this, what, what the real difference is. And it's about moving the ball quickly in the penalty box that makes a difference here, right? Bayern Munich still have all the possession. They still manage to play the ball around the box. They're able to contain a team inside that box. But when you look at the, if you want to know the difference between Bayern against Bremen, 
and why Bayern lost the game and Leverkusen against Leipzig and why Leverkusen won their game is because they are able to quickly move the ball in the box. But also, and you, you see that on Bo, um, on the on the on the corner kicks, right? That they just have a better presence there and able to to run into the space m- more precisely. And those are the small differences here, right? Um, if you have two ball possession teams that are doing really well, you want to compare to them and want to see why is one is able to break down an opponent and why one isn't. That is sometimes the small marches that you deal with. And Leverkusen have done this really well. A good example is also the late goal by, um, I think it was Palacios, right, against um, Augsburg, where where they where they just are able to keep moving the ball inside the box um, until they find that free space. And then when you break down this Leverkusen game and watch it closely, then that's what you see. And I think that's what Bayern at the moment are currently lacking. You, you take the last few chances that they missed. Um, the Tell one, for example, um, he has, he moved, he, rather than trying to move the ball and trying to find an open man, he takes a shot and the shot goes wide, right? So it's really those small little differences at the moment, I think, um, that strike me. Um, Stefan, I, I think it's going to be fascinating to see what they're going to do when Palacios is out. He's out with an injury for a few weeks, it looks like. Um, it's a muscle injury. That's a bad news. The positive news is that Grimaldo, he also suffered an injury, but he should be back uh, very quickly. Um, without Palacios, potentially in the Pokal and potentially against Bayern Munich, that's going to be difficult. Yeah, absolutely. He's been outstanding for them. The way that he just kind of wins balls on and off the ball, uh, off and off the ball rather, wins challenges is, was incredible. He was outstanding in that game. Um, and you know, I'm a big fan of Robert Andrich, but he is notably slower. He plays a different style of football. He can't get around the pitch as much. Um, so we will have to see from that. I'll let Matt jump in in the minute because I know he hasn't said anything on this. But all I would add is that you know it, it's maybe unfair to kind of boil these two teams down to just star players but the way that Florian Vertz played in that game was incredible and just not just obviously in terms of his technical ability and the way he's able to create chances and goals but it's going to make me sound like such an old man but I just love that we got stuck in as well he, you know he had defenders bouncing off him and he was winning interceptions and winning tackles and he just feels like he's at the absolute top of his game right now you could see the confidence just kind of glowing off him and to kind of compare him to Musiala, who, you know, I don't want to be too unfair on Musiala, he's still a young player, he's still learning his trade, of course, but he became so important so quickly to that Bayern team. And it feels to me like the difference between Matt, these two agree? teams right now is that one's got their playmaker at its obvious game, and one of them don't. And sometimes those little margins are all it takes to win a title. Um, I do. I'm not going to see what so on the game. I didn't. I, I didn't certainly see the highlights, but I think it was enjoying the, the halftime of the Bayern game. Um, what stood out though is that I think last time we spoke about RB, um, we mentioned a couple of issues that we have to sort out. One was efficiency and clinicalness in front of goal. Um, I feel like they actually made some good steps towards that. Um, at least, at least for what I could see. Um, particularly with Sabine Simmons on the, the sort of form that he was. Um, I mean, anyone who's not seen that opening goal, that that touch turn and shot in, 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 in just inside the box is absolutely phenomenal having him on the farm will be absolutely key and the return of Danny Alamo I think in the starting 11 I'm guessing for the first time since his injury we came on as a sub last week against Frankfurt um, and that that assist for the what must be the, the second goal um, 
Yeah, the second. Bender, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The counter attack from the yeah, corner. When you play, on, yeah, exactly. The counter, yeah, the assistant from Daniel though. That was actually, I thought, reminiscent of um, Nkunku for, mm-hmm. for Frankfurt on the same pitch last week. Um, maybe not quite as no. wide as uh, Nkunku was, but um, yeah, absolutely inch perfect. So uh, against another side of the of the different level of quality that Daniel though brings. So in that department, they are, I think they are making some progress there, but the, uh, the glaring errors at the back really need sorting out. They're going to keep costing them. Um, you know, the two, the two, you know, the second and the, and the third goal for Leverkusen coming from effectively the same situation, poor marking at the back post. Um, and that's going to absolutely need sorting out. Um, otherwise, I mean, when you look at you know, two, two defeats from two, meanwhile, Rusty Dortmund have won two from two, and mm-hmm. that gap has been completely wiped out. Great transition, Matt, um, because we're going to go to that game. <laughs> because you were that's there. Why you came, that's why you came to me. That's why you came to you, yes. <laughs> Manu, can I make one final point Leipzig before we do it? I just want to say yeah. a shout out to Benjamin Sesco, who I thought was incredible in this game. Uh, mm-hmm. his, kind of, his kind of darting move before the first goal, where he kind of turns Jonathan Tab was almost reminiscent of Messi against Boateng, I thought, the way that Tab's been having probably his best season in a long time. Uh, and he... It, you could just see, like, when central defenders find themselves out there at the sideline, like, what the hell am I doing here? Uh, up against a winger or a way forward, and Sesco made him pay for it, but we were just saying during the game, like, when you watch that guy play, he looks like a striker who's just capable of just about anything. He's got the speed to go past players. He's got a technique to go past yep. players. He can finish in the box, and he's also so damn tall. He's, he was winning header after header after header throughout that game. Um, yeah, he looks like an absolute beast, and it'll be interesting to see uh, what he's that, capable is, of is that they could, they could they could do with using him at the back defending instead of Isis because they could yeah. give us some help <laughs> absolutely absolutely but uh, uh, yeah have, some, some I could... have a lot of time yeah, yeah I was just going to say I have a lot of time for Benjamin Zesko I mean I spoke to him earlier this season right and, and I, we talked about among other things that he almost became a professional basketball player and I think that's why he moves the way he does Stefan um, you know despite his height and all that he doesn't He's not clumsy at all. Um, very dynamic. The the one thing he needs to still do is score goals. <laughs> you know, a striker ultimately will be measured by the goals he scores, and I think that is some that's a department that he will will have to work on. But oh boy, with the moment he starts putting those things away, um, Leipzig have a complete player there. Yeah, absolutely. Really looking I mean, forward to Leverkusen Bayern in a couple in a couple of weeks' time. Now, now it's getting getting closer. That's going to be maybe some game. Yeah. yeah, and Two crucially, from now I think, it, crucially, it's in Leverkusen as well, which would be a big thing because we uh, used to. Have, I mean, how many have, times have we have seen Dortmund making one of these kind of half hours title challenges? That oh. all comes down to that game at the Allianz Arena, where I mean, I've been there at least twice, I think, where they just kind of completely capitulate. Um, but Leverkusen don't really have that. They have to go to Dortmund, um, which could be an interesting game. Yeah, I think that's maybe four or five yeah. games before the end of the season, uh, but. Yeah, if Leverkusen can avoid defeat in that in that game against Bayern, then you're really struggling to see where they're dropping points between now and May, except for maybe that Dortmund match. Yeah, and Bayern will drop points too. Uh, speaking, no, that's a great transition to Dortmund, and I'm going to not have anyone rob my transition to Dortmund this time. Uh, Matt, you were at the Dortmund game. Um, it's another convincing performance against a very dire-looking Köln team. I thought they started the game really well. Then the coins came flying. Um, I don't think we have the times today to talk about ultras because if I go on about ultras, the the Stefan will not be able to finish this podcast in time. 
So we'll shelf this for another day. But um, I think we should just do a bonus show of you and Matt debating it for an hour long. called question time or something and just you two can... <laughs> University um, debate rules. I, it's also, I'm also being, um, you know, this is mid-January. I'm ex super exhausted. It wasn't a great Christmas, so I'm super jaded at the moment as it is. Um, so maybe it's just, maybe it's just a good time for me, um, you know, to do this after my holiday and beginning of February, Stefan. <laughs> but I don't like, yell at people for no reason. <laughs> but um, Stefan, am I at? The game, the Dortmund game, the actual game. Let's talk about that. Um, you kind of were shaking your head when I said that it it was a good start for Dortmund. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I was shaking my head mainly at you saying it was another convincing performance. No, it was another convincing result. Um, yeah, that's probably again, the better way of putting gonna, it. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to sort of repeat the, 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 you know, the, the poor journalist issue that I had last week, uh, having to criticize yeah. a 3-0 win. Now I'm going to try and criticize a 4-0 win. <laughs> it's starting to sound a bit ridiculous. <laughs> and if anyone from Brophy uh, and Arm is into this, they must be thinking, I'm, I mean, they, you know, they can't please me. Um, I don't think it was a good start. But the first half was um, carbon copy of the first half and dark start. Absolutely rubbish. Um, I know you mentioned about the, the flow being taken out of the game by the uh, anti-DFL protest. My yeah. response to that, I, I, I stick flow. to that. I stick to that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think there was much flow at all. Um, the a single again, very similar to Darmstadt last week. One single moment of inventiveness in Darmstadt it was Jamie Brando Gittens making that bursting run down the right set up Brandt. This time it was um, Brandt again involved, really creative uh, set piece, uh, pulling the, pulling the corner back edge of the box. They clearly worked on that on the training ground and Marlon with a good finish. Um, Apart from that, no, I thought it was very much, uh, much of the same. Um, thought Cologne, we'll come on to Cologne a bit later, but yeah, Cologne half decent in possession, offering nothing else. And Dortmund, uh, relatively poor at half time. One colleague in the press box, um, he, he'd actually found out at short notice that he didn't actually have to do any work at all on that day. However, he's, he still had his accreditation. Still, still, still had his accreditation. Um, so we turned up anyway, and he just came back and said, um, "Yeah, there's no, no, this is nothing to do with football." And going back to the pub, and that was at half time, and um, he watches Dortmund a lot, so he wasn't particularly impressed either. And very happy that he didn't actually have to work, so he had an excuse to get away from it. Unfortunately for me, unfortunately for him, uh, it got a lot better in the second half, and I think at this point we start, you know, start offering some praise for Russia Dortmund, um, Jane Sancho, who had been absolutely anonymous in the first half and I mean anonymous it, it'd been pretty much kept in check by uh, Rasmus Carstensen Cologne right back uh, but in the second half he, he died into the box beats Jeff Chabot beats Carstensen then gets dragged down and we were saying before we? I've not seen I've not actually seen a replay of this since we've definitely seen from my position up in the gods in Cologne that there were arms around stomach I, I don't know how easily he's then fallen uh, some suggestions that he was a bit soft, but I would I would suggest it probably was a foul. I think it's a penalty. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's a penalty. Here's why: because yeah, it's a little soft, but you're an idiot as a defender if you go like that to a player, putting you both your arms around. You know, it's it's the sort of thing that you call because the defender is clumsy and is defending, not because the the striker is being taken down. Yeah. How, how many how many times have we seen this though with Jaden Sancho in the Bundesliga? He's not to be a player who has 
outstanding top speed. You know, he's not like an Alfonso Davies or Timo Werner, maybe, who, you know, once they get really going, they can pull away from a defender. He's the kind of guy who can get away over two or three yards. And yeah, I he, think has what quick, that... he has a quick burst over a short distance, doesn't he? Move yeah. the ball. Yeah, and I think one of the best tricks in his toolbox, or his toolkit, whatever you want to call it, is drawing defender and pulling away from them. And at times, you know, sometimes he can do that and create a a chance or a goal, but half the time it just draws in a penalty because he's so quick. And he's obviously very comfortable doing that. Um, But, yeah, it's really interesting. It's, it's, It's such a fascinating time for Dortmund right now because... You know, I, you'd argue that they probably couldn't have got two easier opponents to play. Uh, Darmstadt and Cologne, the two worst teams in the Bundesliga right now. Um, they've then got an interesting clash against Bochum and then Heidenheim, Freiburg and Wolfsburg. And, you know, you could argue there's only maybe one team in that who are actually a top six, top seven side who are willing to kind of give Dortmund or attempt to give Dortmund a bloody nose. I know Heidenheim away. Uh, it's not an easy fixture this season, but... It'll be interesting to see what Dortmund do here because they could almost kind of sleepwalk into a really decent run of form um, before they... I mean, they're not really facing another kind of top six side until Frankfurt, which is in March. And, you know, it, maybe that gives Terzic enough time to kind of figure out what he wants to do with his team, uh, where Sancho slots in, who he wants to play up front. Second week in a row that Makuku's came on and really impressed, if I'm not mistaken. And... He's asking questions as well. So, as Matt says, you know, you don't want to be too harsh when, you know, a team has scored seven goals in the last uh, two weeks. But um, you also don't want to see Dortmund maybe thinking, oh, well, you know, we've we've, we've solved all our problems and we're going to go into some fantastic run of form because you, you can imagine when they come up against a decent team, um, they might we might see some, some of the same old problems. What what is noticeable about Dortmund this year, and again, the caveat is that it's only been Darmstadt and only been Cologne. So at least with the um, with the return of Jaden Sancho and the slight return to form of Daniel Marlin, he had a quiet first half of the season, but he's now got now he's now got you know scored two or two goals uh, against Cologne. We were speaking to Nicholas Fulkrug about this after the game, but how Dortmund have suddenly have a bit more variety going forward. Um. You're no longer having those debates about you know they they, they have to get a Sebastian Allaire or indeed uh, an Anthony Modest or indeed a Fulham club in because they need that one man up front. They're not entirely reliant on somebody off the bench, although that is still happening. They're not entirely reliant on Daniel Marlon suddenly being on the form, although that is also happening. Um, they don't just have the chickiness of Jaden Sancho. There does seem to me to be there to be yeah the first. The first like green shoots of Dortmund having some uh, some dev- um, some tactical variability going forward, which I think is something which we've often criticised them for under Terzic, and I think rightly so. Um, and that's yeah, that that's clearly been on show with seven goals in in, in two games. It seems to be a good atmos- a good um, a good atmosphere, um, a good mood in the camp. Um, it was reported that uh, from a colleagues pitch side that. After the after the foul on Sancho, Sancho was shouting, "Give me the ball! Give me the ball!" He wanted to take the pen, but uh, it's pretty clear that Nicholas Fulkrug uh, pulled rank on that occasion, plotted it away. He was asked, and Fulkrug made no bones about it. Afterwards, he said, "No, uh, of course, Jaden wanted to take it, but um, we have a ranking. Um, I, think, I believe the ranking is uh, Chan, then Royce, and then perhaps Fulkrug. Although Fulkrug was at pace, points out, even if those two are on the pitch, I'm up there as well. It wasn't my first pen." 
Um, so he he was quite keen to point that out. And uh, but yeah, I think yeah, good to see that 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 those sort of debates, those sorts of like mini arguments are taking place in the, in the squad. Um, yeah, all seems quite uh, quite con- quite content and quite uh, um, amenable around Dortmund at the moment. Um, like I said, Daniel Daniel Wilder being back on form is is a is a massive boost. Um, and yeah, Yusuf Umokoku off the bench again. So suddenly, where we've criticised Dortmund for having no plan going forward, they actually seem to have goals coming from all sorts of areas. The caveat, like you said, two poor teams, and they have got uh, a, a run of, on paper, relatively teachers coming up. Um, but yeah, maybe that's what they need. You know, They'll be hoping that come that Frankfurt game and a few tougher fixtures, um, they'll have worked on that offensive variability a, a bit more to the point where we can genuinely talk about them as, as not just having convincing results, but convincing performances as well. And they might be on the on the right path. And I say that as someone who's been quite critical of them this year. Yeah. Um it's 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 fascinating to watch too because I guess the pressure is off them as well because it's all Leverkusen and Bayern at the top. You know, that might they, be very much part of it, yeah. Yeah. You know, the the attention isn't really there at the moment because no one expects Dortmund to do anything um, this season. They're going to probably finish in the top four and that'd be that because everyone is focused on, on Leverkusen and Bayern. Yeah. Well, the fact, yeah, that's really the fact that, the fact that uh, Stuttgart have also lost two games, not just, not just RB, Stuttgart have also lost two. And suddenly, yeah, Dort- Dortmund are absolutely well in it again. Yeah, I think I said that in our group charge, so the results really suited Dortmund this season, uh, this weekend. Only thing I wanted to add to that um, is just, you know, Matt talking about Sancho doing well and stuff, is that is the kind of good side to Eden Terzic. We do talk about that a lot. Maybe tactically he's a little green behind the ears, but there's no doubt that these players do love playing for him. And the fact that Sancho and Matson, who we haven't even really shined a light on, have done so well since. I mean, I know Sancho's maybe been quite uh, quiet, but the fact that. Terzic feels comfortable just putting them straight in and they're, and they're quite comfortable just kind of slotting and doing well for him uh, is credit to Terzic it's always been his strongest suit at Dortmund that maybe the tactics don't quite work out, maybe the systems don't work out and they don't always get results but there's never really any doubt that those players all enjoy playing for him Nice little touch actually I think from Matson when we were speaking to Phil Club and also Gregor Kobel in the, in the mix zone, the two of them and fair play, and the two of them spoke to us for quite a while at length, a good sort of six or seven minutes each. And Ian Matson, and there's no obligation on him at all to do this, especially as a new as a uh, as a new arrival on loan, um, stood there waiting patiently before insisting that he was brought over to the written press by one of Dortmund's uh, media team to be introduced and have a and have a chat and introduce himself. Thought that was um, yeah, I thought that was an impressive little touch from someone who. Absolutely, didn't have to do that at all. Mm, yeah, he has a forty-two million euro exit clause that kicks in next summer. Um, he is looks maybe, quite... maybe he wants to stay. He he probably does, but can Dortmund spend forty-two million euros on the left back? Hmm. Um, I mean, they spent thirty million euros on several really several fairly average strikers in recent years. No, it's <laughs> a good point, and I think actually Matson would be the kind of player that they really need. Um, he looks like he's been, he looks again, like, just like yeah. just like in Darmstadt, he was again very good against. But also at, at times, I don't think it was really part of the plan. But he seemed to slot into midfield a few yeah. times as well, which I, I noticed. Um, yeah, another really mature performance, really good addition. Absolutely. 
unfortunately, guys, we have to wrap it up. I know, Stefan, you have to run. Um, we're doing this on a Sunday sandwich between different appointments. So um, this was a quick roundup show. Don't worry. There will be lots of podcasts still coming your way this week. We have three more scheduled. So if this was a little shorter than usual, uh, we have plenty coming your way. Uh, make sure to read Matt's uh, match report or match um, roundup from the Dortmund game. It's on, on the Substack. Um, there's some great content from last week as well if you haven't caught up to that yet as well. Um, this show is always was brought to you by Bet Online, Guys, this was great. Uh, we'll be back soon. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.